one. How we doing, everybody? We're back again on the Hustle and Grind podcast, or Hustle and Grinder podcast, according to Brian House. I'm sitting here with Noah Bloomberg of the Enneat River Forge and Mr. Coy Baker of Baker Forge and Tool. Coy, how's it going, man? Right, doing good, guys. Thanks for having me on. It's uh, really good to be here. Well, it's a pleasure having you on, sir. Uh, we've been seeing your work online pretty much since at least since I've started knife making. So uh, it's, it's pretty cool to be able to sit down with the guy behind it all. Oh, yeah, thank you. you guys. Have, you've really been taken over the Damascus billet market with, you know, all these copper core Damask or these copper, like I've got some raindrop Shichi Mai in the shop right now. And everybody else has kind of been swept under the rug from you guys. Just, <laughs> all, all you hear is Baker Forge, Baker Forge. I mean, the well, it wasn't, well, thank you. I mean, it wasn't, you know, originally we didn't start out to, to, to squash anybody, but um, we do love making Damascus. And, you know, it started out, um, I was just a hobbyist blacksmith. I've been a hobbyist blacksmith since I was a kid. And uh, once I got into the world of making Damascus, I realized that it was addicting. I love making Damascus. And I was making knives at the time as well, but I realized I, I don't like making knives. It's too, too much fiddly work. Um and I don't like working with wood, <laughs> steel all the way. So, um, yeah, we just got to making Damascus and I'm just by myself in my garage um, at, at home and started just posting it on Instagram, you know, just here's what I'm working on. People started asking me, hey, can you make me a bar of Damascus for the such and such project? And I said, sure, no problem. And so I started selling Damascus to people and it started to gain a little bit of traction. I was buddies with some other guys out there who were making Damascus at the time, guys like Paxton from 5050 and, um, Bob, uh, I'm brought a name on his name or his handle on Instagram. Um, anyway, I had a guy, a customer who had bought a bunch of Damascus from me, reach out and say, Hey, uh, I've seen a guy or two try putting copper in their Damascus. Can you make some for me? And I told him, well, you're crazy because copper don't belong in uh, steel anywhere. I'm not sure how that's supposed to work, um, but he said, give it a try. And so I was like, all right, if you're paying for it, I'll, I'll try it. So I threw together some billets with a piece of copper in there and promptly melted it into the floor of my forge <laughs> and ruined it. So um, anybody who's tried uh, copper laminated steel out there knows what I'm talking about, because that's that's the first thing you do is you overheat it. Um, but uh, I nailed down a process that. I finally started to work and I sent the guy the billet. He made a knife and um, it kind of took off guys who had been getting Damascus from me said, Hey, I want to try a piece of that copper stuff. And I was like, it's going to cost you an arm and a leg because this is a bitch. Um, so uh, he said, let's, let's do it. So I started selling billets with copper in them and, and I, here we are <laughs> um, like two years later now. So we got a 3000 square foot shop space, 10 plus employees, and uh, running two shifts every day. Awesome. So crushing it, crushing it's it. It's a big operation that's, now. Yeah. This is the beauty of capitalism because, you know, for the longest time, all you were seeing out there was the standard, you know, high contrast, black and silver, you know, raindrop, feather Damascus, pattern mosaic Damascus, random pattern mm -hmm. Damascus. 
And I, th- I think you really took over a part that needed to be taken over. There needed to be something new and exciting. And I mean, the way that the copper and the bronze contrast in these blades that these guys are making with your steel is awesome. It must be so really cool from, from your end to like watch what oh, you yeah. made be remade again. Uh, hands down. That's one of my favorite parts really about the whole thing and all the guys that work here in the shop. Cause you know, we just, the bars are just gray bars of steel when they leave here. And so a lot of guys don't have a, especially new guys who start, they don't have a, a long-term vision for what that material looks like finished um, until they really start following the, the um, Instagram or they start seeing pieces that come back in for photographs and video work. And they can hold a finished knife that a maker made with a piece of steel that they made three weeks ago. And they're like, holy crap, look at that. That's what it's supposed to look like. That's what we're here to do. And it's super rewarding. And I think that's part of it when what's been a big factor in our success is we always shouted out makers who made something with our material. And that's just natural, obviously. It's good marketing for us to be able to, it's good content to be able to push back out there. But guys started, um, you know, everybody, as soon as they made something with our steel, even if they got the box, they would post a picture of the box with the logo on it. And it was just, the guys were just shouting us out. The marketing just worked itself for a long time. And that's what really helped take us off the ground at the beginning. Well, I'm a sucker for like solid marketing. So I love the fact that you spray your logo onto each of the, you know, it's just a nondescript gray bar, like you're saying, but it's got that logo on there. So, you know, that like underneath that there's, there's something special. It's a, it's a really sweet marketing that you do with that. Just simple stencil it on there. And, uh, yep. Is that, very recognizable, I mean, very recognizable logo that you've got. Thank you. Yes, that was, and it's, I mean, I don't know if you can tell, but uh, some people don't even notice, but it's actually oblong. It's because it, it was an original stencil outline of my beard at the time. That's so your it's actual beard outline? That's, it, yes, at the time. And it was not, it's not symmetrical. And it That's followed awesome. that where my beard was at the point. So, but yeah, spraying the billets, that was just a wild hair I had one day. I like three or four bars I was sending out. I was like, you know what? I need to, I need to put the logo on here somehow. So it looks like, you know, it's, it's my steel. And I just printed one online and cut it out and sprayed it with some white spray paint. And the guys loved it. And as soon as I, I I mean, I think a couple of batches down, I I didn't do it on a run, just lazy or whatever. And I got so much hate for not spraying (laughs) the stencil on the bar. And I was like, well, that's never happening again. From here on out, they will always have a stencil on there. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah that's it's super become cool. kind of iconic. So, yeah, it has it, for it's, sure. It's so great to like see through social media and how social media. Once you get rolling, it kind of markets itself. Um, if that makes sense, like like you said, you know, everybody who buys your bars, I've done it. I have posts up there from the one I've got in my shop right now. As soon as mm-hmm. we get it, it's almost it's almost like a flex. You know? Yeah. <laughs> well, I've got, I mean, I've got. <laughs> You know, it's like a flex on guys because we know how much the bars cost. So it's like I've got a fucking bar of Baker stool, Baker tool, forged steel in my shop. I'm a yeah. big shit now. You know what I mean? Nice. Like it's like that must be <laughs> yeah. such an awesome feeling. It it, it well, it, I mean, it's also well, they're hard to get too, which I get. That's also a reason why guys shout it out is because our drops they sell out so fast. Guys have a hard time getting them, and we're working on that for everybody out there. I mean. It's, it's a work in progress, but unfortunately, the more we make, the more buyer markets, the buyers out there grow. And 
it doesn't seem to be getting any better from the buyer's end, but we are making a lot more steel than we used to. So we'll eventually be able to have enough to where there's stock supply on the website for everybody um, on different patterns. And you can actually shop on the website instead of showing up at Saturday at eight in the after or in the evening to catch a drop. So it's a work in progress. That's so cool. It's so, it's so awesome to see small business growth. You know what I mean? Um, Mm -hmm. It's, it's not like you're a big conglomerate corporation who decided that this was a good idea. You know, you're just a guy like the rest of us, you know? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It sounds like, it sounds like a very natural progression that, that happened and Mm -hmm. and market markets decide. And it sounds like you just happen to have the market decide in your favor, right? In that, that niche that you found yourself in. That's awesome. Yeah, I didn't really even realize it was a niche until the real, really the copper stuff started. Because a lot of people make Damascus. Not a lot of people make Damascus to sell. There's a handful of them out there. Um, but I never thought looked at that and went, okay, this is going to be a niche that I'm going to grow into. And just eventually I'm going to have this big business one day that makes just Damascus. It wasn't really until the copper stuff really started taking off. And my order books, because I used to take orders. Mistake. Don't do that. Um, I used to take orders. and it got so long, so great, incredibly long that the pressure and the stress, I was like, man, I got to get somebody to help me do this. And so I was having both of my brothers who both still work with the company today. They were coming over on the weekends or in the evening after work to help me in my little one car garage, just to put a dent in some of these orders. Um, yeah, so that was, oh, well, so the first thing that really pushed us after that was half face blades put in a massive order with us for a bunch of the dark my steel. Um, that took us almost six months to produce just wow. us three. Um, and so that was a big order. And that's the kind of the catalyst to throwing us into at least me into doing it full time and quitting my other job and um, getting an actual shop space with some room to, to grow into. So that's a name you don't hear very often. And half face blades is a very underrated knife maker. That guy should be way more famous than he is. Um, not saying he doesn't have a following because he has a huge following, but um, I was about to say he's 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 famous on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, he. I mean, he. I don't hear his name enough for how good yeah. he is. Um, Andrew's a great guy. He really is. Um, yeah, I, I've been buddies with him for a little while now. I've yet to meet him because he doesn't come to the blade shows. Um, but yeah, good guy, good crew. Uh, they've got a great knife making operation down there in San Diego. Um, and so they use our stuff from time to time. They like to limit it to their special edition releases or auctions. Um, they've been hoarding it because they have not produced, they haven't put out near as many pieces as I know they have steel sitting on the shelf. So, so with the, with the, the compromise specifically, there's, there's guys out there, Dakota Wilson comes to mind who are doing these crazy color changes using certain mm-hmm. temperatures and stuff to, to change the, the the coloration of the different, um, whether it's bronze or copper in there, was that mm-hmm. something that you foresaw when you were when you were making this, or was that something that somebody did randomly one day and you're like, "Holy crap, how they do that?" Yeah, it, that was really just the, in the maker's hands. I di- I didn't foresee people doing that, and I didn't come up with any sort of method as to how to do it. I don't know actually how Co- uh, Dakota does his. Um, he's kept that to himself, but. There's material uh, patinas out there that you can get, like bottles of patinas, like uh, sulf- liver of sulfur and Baldwin's patina, stuff like that. That's more it's for working with like Mokame, which has no steel in it. Um, and I know guys have been starting to use that, yeah, to get crazy colors and stuff. 
And then the, yeah, doing like a wax temper cycles or something to get those crazy reds and oranges. Um, that's totally maker done. I mean, that's the community just going, Hey, this is an awesome piece of steel. I want to make it uniquely mine. I want to put a unique spin on it and try something new. And Dakota's really good at that. He's, he's gone a long ways in his, that crimson red that he gets in his, um, and so, yeah, that's just uh, not something I foresaw, no. Well, that's cool. That's also, even... Sorry, go ahead. Uh, also, you get to see the progression with different makers now taking these steels that like companies like yours are making and changing how they make blades because the steel looks so good. So you got guys out there like JB Blades. I don't know if, yeah. if anybody, if, if you haven't seen this guy, he's carving his blades. Mm-hmm. So he's got these yes. like river patterns or like, it's hard to describe, almost like veins in the steel that he carves mm-hmm. out and then puts the bevels in. And yeah. Yeah. He actually insane. relief carves the entire blade away from the, the ridge. Yeah. I, I, he, that's something else that he does that I, that kind of blows my mind. What's also crazy is how fast he can do it. Um, mm. He recently just did a 48 hour challenge with two other makers and t- to make a knife in our steel, our tiger, my wavy, they all had to use the same steel, the same size knife, 48 hours. And he finished his blade, not including temper time in three hours. Jeez. Wow. That's Carved. insane. Mm-hmm. Oh my guard, God. Fitted guard, hidden tang. Yeah. Insane. Um, he actually does all of our test knives right now. So if we do a new batch of steel that needs to be represented, basically we need marketing photos and video of what the steel looks like on a knife. Because we used to just do like an in cut and we'd roughly etch an in cut and take a photo of that and put it up. And that works, but it's not a great representation of the pattern on a blade a lot of the time. And so we started drifting into sending bars to knife makers to have example uh, example knives basically made. And part of the deal is, they ship the blades back to us and we can get sole rights to the photos of the blade um, for marketing material. And then once we're done with the photos, we send the knife back and they just got a, a bar for free, basically for the marketing for their time, whatnot. Um, and so JB is doing a, pretty much exclusively that right now for us. We, we, we love using him because of how fast he can turn something around for us. Um, we try to stay a couple of drops ahead in production. So if there's several new patterns coming out, we'll pre-make, the test run billets of him of steel and send them to him ahead of time so that we've got time to get the knife back to do the photos and the video and line up all the marketing. But um, yeah, we, we got addicted to, to JB blades. So go follow him on Instagram. That's JB blades, seven, five, five, zero, I believe is his yeah, handle. Yeah. I, I, I think most people probably already follow him. I, I could be wrong, but yeah. I don't think so. I don't I, know who I wouldn't been, be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've been and, talking and, to him to get him on the show because I, I really want to pick his brain yes. on on like if he's using like carbide burbits or like a Fordham, like how's he how is he doing this? Because it's it's next level. Yeah. I mean, it's it's something totally unique. I haven't seen anybody else do it. Maybe you could say Dennis Tyrell did it a little bit with that elven sword that he made because he carved in like the plunge line to match the curvature of the sword. Um mm-hmm. But yeah, it's awesome. uh, he so his mentor was um, Alpine uh, Spencer 
Spencer Alpine was his mentor. And Spencer is the one, as far as I know, that kind of developed that technique of doing the relief carving on blades. And uh, Spencer's not super well-known. He doesn't have big Instagram or Facebook accounts. He's more popular on Facebook than he is Instagram. But Spencer Alpine was kind of the, 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 the guy who kind of pioneered that look. And he's exclusively only ever taught one person how to do that. And that was Jordan at JB Blades. So, yeah, you should have Jordan on. He's a great, great guy. He won't tell you exactly how he does it because I've asked him. I've asked him. <laughs> uh, I, but yeah, it's, I, it's, I, I can imagine you'd want to kind of keep that close to the vest, I suppose. Yeah, I, I guess so. It's what makes him stand out, you know, and that's what every knife yeah. maker's out there trying to do is figure out how to make their work stand out above everybody else. So, yeah, it's true. And if he tells everybody, then by next week, there's going to be 30 of us, me included, who are working <laughs> on the relief cuts in it, you know? Um, sure. But, Let's let's switch gears. I want to know what did you do before all of this? So before Baker Forge, um, I've always been an entrepreneur. Um, I before this, I was running a painting and drywall company, residential in uh, my local town here, and I was running that with my dad and my two brothers, who both of all coincidentally now work for Baker Forge. We shut the painting company down. Because Baker Forge was going much further than the painting company ever was going to. And so that's where I kind of started my entrepreneurship was starting this uh, painting and drywall company with my dad. Um, and we got it. I mean, we were we were doing a lot of work. We were slammed. We were running three or four crews 24-7 doing painting of exterior, interior houses, new construction, reno, you know, you name it. And that's where I really kind of cut my teeth with um, working with customers customer relations, stuff like that. Cause you know, you're working with somebody on their house and there's a certain level of trust that they impart to you. If they hire you on a project to come in and paint the inside of their house. And so really learning how to navigate customer relations was a big part of making that successful. Cause I was the front man for all that in that business. And a lot of that kind of helped transfer over to this where I don't have in-person, you know, discussions with customers on a regular basis anymore, but it is all online and you still have to impart that, um, that customer relation, that customer service, um, in this business as well. And so, yeah, I come from drywall and painting, which you wouldn't think. <laughs> That's cool. The trades, uh, Noah and I are both mechanics, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, very cool. Yeah. He works on cars. I work on small engines. Nice. So, very cool. Yeah. So let's uh, let's do an ad real quick, and then I want to ask you about your shop after that, Coy. Okay. Let's do this ad is brought to you by Maritime Knife Supply. Hustle and Grind is sponsored by Maritime Knife Supply. Whether you're looking for steel, abrasives, handle material, forges, epoxy, or anything for making in general, Maritime Knife Supply has you covered. And in the U.S. or Canada, they ship faster than the great Cobra Chicken Gooses that their country is known for. Go to Maritime Knife Supply, and when you buy a 10-pack of belts, get 10% off. And tell them we sent you, eh? Thanks, Lawrence. Well done. Oh, Lawrence speaking of Maritime. Speaking of those guys, yeah, Lawrence is the man. He's actually uh, our dealer in Canada. So you can actually buy Baker Forge Steel through those guys up there. I don't yeah, know if that's what I got last, mine. I haven't looked. Oh, really? Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. I was already putting in an order and I was like, well, might as well. Uh, so, boop, boop. Might as well. 
So he's your one-stop shop. He's got everything. And he's awesome. He's yeah. doing um he's doing a scholarship for young kids to learn how to bladesmith here at the New England School of Metalworks. It's like an hour away from my house. Um gotcha. He sponsors cool. basically every single knife maker podcast that there is. You, yeah. yeah. You can't listen to any podcast now without hearing him and hearing his, yeah. his company. It's smart. So yeah, he helped me out the other day. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I was looking for wrought iron. Um, one of my sources that I've been getting it from dried up and I was kind of out of options and I hit him up. I said, Hey, you have any idea where I can find some big, big, big wrought iron chain links? And he said, give me a few minutes. And he messaged me back, you know, like 10 minutes later. And he said, here you go. He had name and number. He's in Florida. <laughs> Boom. Hooked me up. <laughs> nice. Wow. He's a great guy. Yep. Nice. He's got his fingers in all the pots. <laughs> That's so cool. So what do you want to know about his shop, Noah? So, yeah. So you talked about, so first of all, I kind of want to hear about the expansion because you said you were working in a one car garage originally. And the other thing I want to hear about is your forge and the coolest forge door I've ever seen that, <laughs> that, that I, I, apparently you made. Is that right? Are you talking about the, the big furnace that goes up on the, with the air system? Is that yeah. what you're talking about? Yeah, I think yeah, so. Okay. It's got it's got a it's got a, a door that that raises up on a chain or something. I don't know if that's like on a yeah. foot pedal or how how does that work? Yeah, okay. So that's uh that's an industrial furnace that we had uh, custom built for us by a company up in New York who makes furnaces um, for industrial applications. So we did not build that one. Um, our gas burning, well, so that is gas too. That is very specifically just for copper for our copper work. Uh, because we that's got a PID system and everything hooked up, thermocouples out the wazoo. We can control the temperature in that within a five-degree range, um, which is super critical when working with this bronze and the copper materials. And so that big, big gray box with the sliding door, that's a uh, our industrial kiln or furnace. So it's gas-powered. It uses less gas than your stove in your house, which is crazy efficient, which is good because our gas bill is high as it is. Um, <laughs> sure. But uh, that door, yeah, is operated on a cable that goes up around a system of pulleys and comes down to an air cylinder that's attached to a foot pedal. So we just plug in air from our air compressor and there's just a click foot pedal down at the base and there's a it's a locking foot pedal. So you click it down, it locks and raises up and lock open. You can pull stuff out and you tap it again, it unlocks and drops the air back down or drops the cylinder so it lowers back the door down. Yeah, so it's a great, great design. We did not build it. I, I wish I could take credit for that. But, um, oh, I'm trying to remember the name of the company that did. They're an old company. They've been making kilns and furnaces uh, since like the 60s. Old, old family company. And we're actually probably going to get another one from them because we like this one so much. Um, so that's that's the furnace. Now, we do have an actual forge that we use for making like our Damascus, anything that doesn't have copper in it. Uh, wrought iron sand, my stainless stuff, whatever. Um, and that's just a, a forge we built ourselves. Um, I don't know how big it is. It's We built it a long time ago. It's a ribbon burner forge. Uh, it cranks to crazy high temperatures. The big industrial kiln has a limiting temperature of 2,100 degrees, 2,100. Uh, but we can melt steel in the, in the uh, forge, the smaller one, so... Uh, yeah, so that's the that's the furnace stuff. Let me let me jump back to the old shop though. Our transition you were mentioning. Um, so yeah, our volume started to really need to grow because we had a lot of demand. And I was talking with my my brother and my my dad and was like, hey, 
I think this could really be something. There's a lot here. There's a lot of need in this market. At least there seems to be. I, I wasn't big in the knife industry. I didn't know my, many people in the knife industry. And so I was just like a little bit of a stab in the dark, a little bit of a leap of faith action because I didn't know where it was going to take us. But I was like, there's so much demand. I feel like we did this right. Then we could really make something out of this. And that was right around the time I met Jason Knight. As I mentioned that earlier, he's about an hour down the street from us. And I had, we had a, a, a connection through a, a friend um, who knew us both. And he actually put us in touch and he had me down to his shop and I brought some of my steel. I brought some Damascus I had made with some mosaic Damascus. And he and I had hung out at the shop for an entire day. He was just working on some knives. Um, I met Charlie Ellis down there, Charles, Charles Lionheart. And we, uh, when I started showing, um, showing Jason the, the steel, he, he kind of really, he said it's something that's super cool, super unique. I should definitely run with it. It's like you could, and he was all about helping, you know, promote it and stuff like that. And we've actually got some uh, classes coming up together that we're going to be hosting uh, around inter our integral billets. And he's going to teach a class specifically how to make a Jason Knight chef knife from an integral billet from Baker Forge. So that's going to be real fun. Wow, that's um, awesome. Yeah, that's going to be next year. So Dang. I spent as much time picking up tips and tricks from that guy as I could in the forge. He taught me how to do stainless sand mine. Um, he really helped me around some of my mosaic work. He put me in touch with Steve Swarzer, where I learned how to do a lot more mosaic work. Um, and then, yeah, he, he really gave me the confidence to go, go ahead and push through with this and, and, you know, take it full time. And so having Jason Knight in your back corner, you know, gives you a boost because I knew who Jason Knight was. Obviously I'd seen the show. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. so, uh, yeah, I just, we went for it. I, I didn't quit my job straight out. We went ahead and rented out a new shop space and I was still working there, um, from about two o'clock in the afternoon till whenever and then on all weekends um just me and one other part-time guy just trying to crank through everything we could in the short window of time we had each day and eventually got to the point where i could stop the other company full-time and it was supporting me financially and it was supporting my part-time helper and we we were like that for probably four or five months and then i brought on one of my other brothers from the company the painting company and I said, you know what, I, it's, I got the room and the budget. I can bring you on. You're going to provide this much more steel every week. I'm, I'm a big nerd when it comes to the, the breakdown of uh, the operations of the company. It's this much output equals this much time for this much, this employee for this many hours equals this much revenue. You know, it's just, I love that number game at making sure everything's lining up. And so I was really precise about bringing employees on at the time when I knew that I could facilitate enough work through them to make it worth it and still make a profit on top of it. So start just started bringing more guys on before you knew it. I had everybody from the bank company, but well, not everybody, just my, my family, uh, close that. It was a good time because two of the guys who were running big crews for us ended up moving out of the area. So the paint company started shrinking right around the time I wanted to take Baker forge bigger. So that kind of, they kind of went in unison there. Um, almost like it was supposed to be. So, like ser serendipitous. Is, is that what serendipitous. They call it? Yes, serendipitous. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, the big company it, completely ceased to exist. At the, like, 
because of we this? Sold or? Off, yeah, we sold off everything uh, of numerical value or, you know, equipment, um, deals we already had set up and in line. But other than that, yeah, it's it's no longer exists um, it, under that name. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So it's done. Uh, and I'm glad to be out of it. I didn't, I, the painting, the construction industry is different. It wasn't really for me. Um, and I did a lot of driving because I was doing the bids and the customer work. I, I was in the car eight, nine hours a day, just zipping it from back and forth, running errands, this, there, bid, blah, no. I'd rather sit in front of a power hammer, you know? <laughs> of course. Yeah, that's way better. Yeah. So, so, so we, are you still yeah. in the same spot that, that you started out in once you went bigger or, or how yeah, did that work? So once I went out of my one car garage uh, into the, the shop space I'm in now, uh, we're still here. Um, so originally to help facilitate that move, I couldn't rent a shop. I couldn't afford a shop space this big. Um, I mean, this is 3000 square foot with two offices, uh, bathroom, clean room storage. Like it, it's a big place. And for me at the time was like, I, I couldn't even fill a 10th of this with the amount of tooling I have, but I knew I was going to need some room to grow. And so I had a local knife maker buddy, Josh Morgan of primitive woodsman knives. Um, he and I had been buddies because he lives in the same town that I live in. And we'd been buddies for a, a long time. And he was at the time working out of his garage, uh, his basement, sorry. Under his house, he had about this much clearance for his subfloor in his head. And he used to work for Winkler Knives, Daniel Winkler. Um, and he had branched out on his own about a year earlier and needed to grow as well. And so I was like, hey, you want to team up and get a shop space? Because then you could pay half the rent and uh, I could afford it. <laughs> and so he, he loved the idea. And so we started looking for a place together. And this was the second shop we looked at. And as soon as we looked at it, we're like, you know what? This is This is it. So we signed a lease and jumped in and he's still with us today. He still, he still has his knife making set up in here. And so he makes knives full time in the same shop we do. Um, and so we have not moved yet, but we are, we do have to expand because I'm pretty much maxed out of capacity now. Um, one of the reasons oh, yeah. we've gone to two shifts, uh, a six to two and then a two to 10, because I needed to make more material and get more people in here, but I was out of space for the amount of, I can only get so many people in here working at one time before they're running over everybody. And then it's not efficient anymore. And so the way to do that was to, of course, stagger it off. And half the team works first shift and half the team works second shift. Um, we can make the same amount or double the amount of steel in the same 24-hour window. So that's our solution now for our space. But we are looking to grow. We've been looking at a couple other buildings um, down the road across the line in Tennessee. and we've been looking for a little while now. Nothing's really lined up. Uh, you know, the buying market right now, everything's just crazy expensive. And the places that are up for lease are either terribly run down and garbage or they want way too much for it. And so that hasn't really lined up yet. So that's why we kind of went to the two shift for now to help mitigate that problem. But yeah, we're in the same space we are now. So, or we were. You're, wow. uh, you're, you're perpetuating the American dream, man. It's really inspiring. Well, that's, thank you. that's awesome. Well, um, it, speaking it really of the is. American dream, though, why don't we switch over to Florida Man real quick and get Are a little laugh do that? in here? Yeah, might All as right. well. So, okay. Koi, we do a segment every week called Florida Man or Fraud. And mm -hmm. Noah reads off two news headlines from somewhere in the country. And you and I and the listeners have to guess if it's Florida 
or if it's not from Florida, because the craziest shit always happens in Florida. That's right. That's right. All right. Here we go. This first Wait. one is Curtis. Oh, yep. Sorry. Go ahead. I didn't, I didn't play the intro. God, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen, boys and girls, get ready to play. Is it Florida Man or Fraud? That's right, ladies and gentlemen, it is time to play Florida Man or Fraud, the part of the show where I read off a ridiculous headline sent in by you, the listener, and you guys get to play along and guess whether the perpetrator of this story is truly Florida Man or a fraud from somewhere else in the country. This one is brought to us by Stormlight Forge on Instagram. Go ahead and give him a follow. The headline reads, Traveler stuffed gun into raw chicken and tried to bring it on a plane, TSA says. A prospective air traveler was roasted by the Transportation Security Administration on social media on Monday after officers with the federal agency said that it caught the person trying to conceal a gun inside a raw chicken stashed on their in their carry-on luggage. The weapon was flagged by TSA at this airport where officers found it wrapped in what looked like thin paper packaging and hidden inside was a raw chicken. The tweet directly from TSA reads, There's a personal foul here. The plot chickens as we barrel our way closer to Thanksgiving. For us, it's a time to be thankful that our officers are always working around the clock to keep you safe. Take this instance, or take for instance, this hen you can believe it find at blank airport. We hate to break it to you here. Sorry, we hate to beak it to you here. This is this is terrible. <clears throat> but stuffing a firearm inside your holiday bird for travel is just a waste of time. This idea wasn't even half-baked. It was raw, greasy, and obviously unsupervised. The only roast happening here is this poor packing choice. Feather you like it or not, there are rules for traveling with guns and ammunition, so don't wing it. Roost over the proper packaging info through the link in our bio. Do you think this wow. chicken smuggling gun owner was truly Florida man or somewhere else? Well, I mean, first off, even if it is true, what what makes you think they're not going to flag the chicken? I mean, they're not going to let you take a raw chicken on the plane. All the stories are true. This is a real headline. The question isn't whether it's real or not. It's whether it's in Florida or not. Whether it's in Florida, right. Right, right. Okay. Wow. Yes, I, 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 I People hate. Are I, I, I hate to say that that somebody actually did this. Somebody this actually did that. This right. Really happened. Well, so I don't. I've not spent a lot of time in Florida, but I know gator hunters use rotten raw chicken as gator bait when they're hunting gators. So there's That's a true. little bit of a tease into something there. If he's used to handling a lot of raw chicken, that might be his first go-to. That's an interesting perspective. Mm, that is. I mean, I, that's, I just, that's, the only t- that's the only thing I've got. I'm focused on, was he planning to eat the chicken if he was successful? Because why would you fly with a raw chicken? I uh, I, I mean, was I, there I, any ice involved? Didn't sound like it. It said no. it was wrapped in paper. I, I, I have no idea. I mean, this chicken is so was he then, was he, yeah, was he, was he a butcher up far north where he's never had to pack a chicken in ice because it doesn't get above 50 degrees during the day? Because that's not Florida. I don't oh, know. That's true. Maybe it's Alaska. 
Yeah, maybe he's never heard of ice other than what he walks on. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to say it's gonna Florida. Be- I'm just going to go Florida. I'll go. I'll agree with Coy on this one. Final answer. Yeah, final answer. That was the finest, finest example we've had of of critical thinking and investigative knowledge into this because that was absolutely Florida, man. And you bet that guy was a gator hunter. Uh-huh. And he, <laughs> oh yeah, that's Florida all the way. And, and just having a raw chicken on hand to just stuff a gun into, you know, he's got like twenty of them in his freezer to use for bait. He's oh like, yeah, this, yeah. That that one looks big enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What they yep. left out is this probably been sitting in a bucket on his porch for three weeks. Mm. So that they didn't find it in the scanner. They felt it. They found it when he uh, <laughs> walked oh, into they, the airport. And they could they smell smelled it. it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh, you know that smell nasty. Oh, jeez. Florida. What's the, man. what's the next one? What All right, got? we got we got one more. Um, I had a couple people actually send this one to me. Um, I can't remember who the first one is. I'm sorry. I'm sorry you're not getting your shout out. Um, but uh, Todd Harrington sent it to me as well. Um, oh, this ought to be good. Todd's got a good sense of humor. Yeah, here we go. You ready for this? <clears throat> the headline reads, Bored pilot draws penis on flight map using live tracking app. An eventful night in the cockpit. A bored pilot flying over blank drew a penis shape during the live flight tracking app. The phallus, traced over 20 miles on the map, popped up Thursday night on the website, blah, 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 which tracks thousands of aircrafts around the world real time. The pilot of the private two-seat plane started his trip in blank, traveling at a speed of about 72 knots. He loops around the area where he creates his artwork over 400 feet in the air before coming back full circle. Wow. Wow. That's dedication. That's ballsy. Yeah. I don't know if a, I don't know if a Florida man could be that dedicated. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, here's that's a big time like, investment. Like it's, I don't, I, oh, man, I don't have like the picture to, to show you guys. Obviously um, the listeners won't hear it, but I mean, it's a well done. It's, it's, it's well drawn. He knew what he was doing. Hmm. <laughs> and, and, and <laughs> just, just for clarification, there has been some phallic events in the sky in the last few years here. Um, there was a Navy pilot, actually here in Washington that drew it with uh, in just the smoke trails. And that was actually that's, just that's... North of just North of here. Uh, I think within the last year or two, and this is not that this is, he wasn't drawing it in the sky. This was on the tracking app that he was, he was drawing this just so that we're clear that it's a separate event. Okay. So he didn't actually fly the plane in the shape of a penis. No, he did. He oh, just drew using it, the radar. Use, yeah. Using yeah, using the radar. He did. He didn't leave a smoke trail like the Navy pilot did a couple years ago. Hmm. Where do these guys get all the money for this jet fuel that they're just burning up while they're drawing dicks in the air? I don't. Know. What? <laughs> it must See, be from like you, Miami. That's how you know you're a business owner. You start thinking of the overhead. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> that's exactly what I started thinking of. I'm like, good god, what a waste. Oh. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go Texas. This seems like a very Texas thing to do. Or, yeah. that's, that's Well, and you think about it. If you're going to stay over the state you're in, you got to have some room. Texas has got right. the room. So, it's true. Do I have to pick a state if I'm not going to say Florida? Nope. You can say Florida or fraud. Either one. All right. California. Oh. That's that's. All right, you sticking with Texas over there, Ryan? Yeah, that's my answer. 
No, that was Florida too. Oh, no way. wow. Oh yeah, that was that was that was Miami. You were right the first time you said it actually. Oh, no way. <laughs> hey. I had all the way down to the city. Shoot. Uh, always go with stuck. always go with your gut. What am I Stick thinking? with your guns, man. What yeah. did he just fly around the perimeter of the state cuz Florida does have a very phallic looking it, it, Ooh, it is. It has been referred to like that, and that was kind of, you know, I like to throw hints in there. I'd like to try and try and bring up subjects in the story that might give you a clue. And I am impressed that that Koi picked up on the raw chicken one in the first one. So, nice. Well done either way. I don't. I, that was a shot in the dark. I don't know what I was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Those are good ones. Don't say that. It sounded really good. <laughs> just just run with it. Just take credit. I, I've just watched too much Swamp People. That's how I know. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. That TV show, that, yeah. Oh, that that one trick or that war. Yeah, mm-hmm. that guy. <laughs> and I did live in Louisiana for a year. So, you know, there's a lot of Cajuns down there. A lot of gator hunting. Thought I hit the mute button there. I didn't. You did not. <laughs> Whoops. Little, little homage Whoops. to Forge Side Chat. Little Forge Side Chat there. <laughs> I love yeah. you. Yeah. So, anyways, yeah. okay. So, so speaking of your uh, your methodical thinking, what you were talking about earlier with the 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 business mind that you have and and how you allocate things out is fairly unique in the maker community. From you know when you talk to other makers, most people like myself are artistic minded we we want to do what we want to do and if we make money at it great or hey we really want to turn this into a business but we don't know how to i don't know how to how you know how how do i do that you know how do i pay taxes you know i, I don't know like i it, it's not something that is generally in the mindset of somebody who is creative to to that extent so what you know what in your your background or your history really pushed you to, to have that sort of mindset? I, hmm, as far as background, I'm not sure. So my, my dad is fairly um, entrepreneurial minded. He didn't do, he, he worked for people for most of his life. He was in the tech industry. Um, he actually holds some patents for voiceover telecommunication. That was the beginning foundations of stuff like Skype and what we're doing now. Um, so he, he was real big in the tech industry growing up and he didn't have a shop. I didn't grow up working with my hands a whole lot until I was able to kind of set up a shop of my own around the age of like 13. Um, the business side of things has always just been super attractive to me. I don't get me wrong. I love forging steel. I love making crazy, intricate, unique patterns in Damascus mosaic patterns. That's when I need a de-stress, that's what I will do. I'll, I'll design a mosaic Damascus pattern. I got a whiteboard right here at my desk just for that. And, but when it, when it comes to the business, the, my big passion is making the business work. And I don't know where I, God given talent. I don't know. I don't know. I wouldn't even call it a talent. It's just a drive. (laughs) Um, I, I really enjoy putting people in places where they excel. And so when I start looking at, you know, employees or needs in the company, my big thing starting out when I was posting on Instagram, I quickly realized I don't want to be running the content. Content is that it it, it takes so much time and I'm not good at doing photos and video. 
And so I knew from the get go, I was going to need somebody to help with that. And so, well, I mean, we, we have a, a full-time video and photo editor, um, on site now who handles all that sort of thing. And I have a, um, oh shoot, general, uh, so social media manager who handles everything social media related. If you're working in the DMS, that is still me. If you're talking to somebody on Baker Forge and tools, DMS on Instagram, that is still me. Um, but I, I'm not good at social media. And so I was like, you know what? I got to put somebody in here who is good at it. If I'm going to help this excel and, and grow. And so I've got a guy, he's actually lives in Montana. He's not even local who manages all the social media channels and works with us every, we have a, a weekly meeting every Monday to discuss the scope of the week as far as social media content, because it's a big driving force these days. So, I mean, we're almost hundred percent solely social media based business. I don't sell out, out of the shop here and no retail stores, of course. And so Social media was the number one game. I was like, well, we got to diversify. We got to be on as many platforms as possible. Um, email lists. I mean, everything. Website, contact, collecting. Um, that was, I mean, that's the main thing. You got to be good on social media if you're going to make a business on social media. So that was right out of the gate. I had to get somebody in here to do uh, social media work. And then the video. So I knew we were doing a lot of short form content, which is on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok. I hate TikTok, but it's there. Um, I knew I wanted to expand into long form content, which would be like YouTube, of course. And so I prematurely, not prematurely, I envisioning a big YouTube channel in the future, went ahead and brought on a, a part time at the time video guy. And he would come in two to three days a week and he would shoot all, he would just shoot us working. Whatever we were doing, he was taking video of it. And from time to time, we would actually schedule a project where we would I would do a build series or something. And you can find these on YouTube. We have not been doing, excuse me, we haven't been doing much of that recently just because things have gotten hectic. But um, I'm not good with photos. I'm not good with video. And so I had to bring on a guy who could do that. And he now works here full time. His desk is right over there in that corner. And his name's Wayland. And so if you see any content on our website, it was shot or and edited by Waylon. So uh, it's all about finding guys who are good at what they do and are filling spots where you're not good yourself. Um, you know, a lot of guys there, as you mentioned earlier, Noah, that mentality of, I really like doing this craft, but I just, I want to do all of it. Or I, I got to handle everything, that stress of managing every aspect of it, the taxes. Well, that's a, I mean, I hate taxes. I hate doing taxes. First thing, got a CPA. I'm not handling taxes. And so um, I, now I forgot where I was going with that. Oh yeah. So there's that stress of that, uh, you know, that one guy knife shop to handle everything. And, you know, when you talk to these guys and you tell them, you know, Hey, why don't you get a, you know, a CPA to come on? Or why don't you get a part-time guy to come to the shop to help you with this and this? His first thing he'll tell you is, well, I don't have the money to pay him or, you know, I, I can't afford it. Well, an employee is an asset. And so what you're doing is you, if, if it's the right guy, first off, and you know how to structure working him into your business, then he will on day one, make you more money than you will pay him at the end of that day, day one. And so you can't look at employees or guys who are helping you in certain aspects of your business as a liability. It's a, it's an asset. And as long as you're investing into those guys, and furthering their knowledge on whatever they're doing, 
then they feel like an asset in the company as well. And it's just part of that mentality. And so I've got a guy, Cole, who's one of the managers in the shop. And he is an amazing mechanic with, sorry, mechanic, not a car mechanic. Well, he can be a car mechanic too, but I mean a uh, machinist. He can fix anything. And he is pretty much the on-call guy for any time a machine goes down. And so whenever we were structuring managers, it was always in my head to go, I got to make sure that Cole is never tied up too much to where he can't drop what he's doing and go fix that machine that went down. That's going to cost me a thousand dollars a day to have down. And so Cole is in a manager role, but Cole needs to be, have the flexibility to be able to stop something and shift mindset wise. And so, I mean, that's just another example of, you know, getting guys into areas in the company where they will excel at the most. And I just, I eat that stuff up. So that's awesome. Interesting. So it's, 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 it's less of a, you know, an intricate business mind and more of a efficiency based mindset where you're able to recognize not only what needs to be done, but, but, but putting people in those roles and, 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 and efficiently building your process to where, you mm-hmm. know, it'll, it'll run well. Efficiency That's right. through, through delegation. Correct. Cause I mean, there's only so much steel I could make in a day when I was in my one man shop. And so as the business grew and the amount of, I hate to say this office work that became essential to the running of the company and the less time I had to be in the shop, the more I needed my guys to be, to be able to know everything I know and more and to be able to do their job. And so we're to the point now where I, the shop can run. I don't even have to be here anymore. I am here every day, but these guys can come in on a morning shift and work an entire shift without me being here because they know their tasks. They know what's on the schedule. We have everything scheduled out for months in advance. The guys know exactly what they're doing. And we've got guys in the management positions who are driven towards uh, goals, goal oriented, um, and who are very skilled at what they do. And so, yeah, a delegation, it, it, it is. Um, my mindset in getting into this was never to, oh, I just want to make a humble living myself and just support myself by working in my shop by myself. The idea was to create a business that A, my uh, two other brothers who were coming from a different company could join in and I could, that business would support them. But then also to just grow because the demand was there. I love the knife maker community. Everybody wanted to use our stuff, but we could only make so much. And it was very limiting. So many people get messages every day. People were like, hey, I've been trying for three weeks to get a bar of your steel. How, how, how do I make this work? And, you know, I hate getting those messages. Uh, not because I hate hearing from customers, but because I hate hearing the fact that we're not supplying enough, you know. And so the idea is just to get it to where we're meeting demand. I don't want to be a giant tech, you know, giant in company, mega industry, because we don't need to get that big. We just got to get to where we're supplying demand. And so that's the vision yeah. for that. Yeah, because when you get those messages, basically it's money that's being left on the table uh, because they're yeah. only going to wait. They're only going to wait so long, you know, um, but everything you just said speaks to us as knife makers, I think, a lot because we all work alone in our shops and like myself. I do everything. I'm doing the production for this podcast. I'm doing the social media for the knife making. Every bit of the knife making, I have no help. You know what I mean? It's just me. Um, and and I'm nobody. I'm just a little guy. But there's a is lot this your full time job? 
No, I I have a okay. part time so, mechanic job right. during the week. Mechanic job. Um, I'm gotcha. in that weird limbo where I'm like, my job is almost in the way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like where I'm, yeah. I'm getting I'm getting busy enough, but I'm not confident that I can make the money I need to make to survive full time because it's feast right, or right. famine. And sure. so, like, I'm at that weird cusp where my day job is almost in the way. And, you know, yep, once that, that happens, once it is in the way that I'll, I'll need to be able to recognize that and, and pull the plug. But right. So is your vision for it to be a hobby that makes you money to live on? And that's just it. Or are you wanting to go like business size you know, with employees? Like, what's the vision for for your knife shop? Oh, I'd love to go that big. I, I would absolutely love it. Um, I, I don't have any worry about people calling me a sellout or anything like that, you know, <laughs> saying I removed the art from it. I, that doesn't bother me at all. You know, I've got a wife and two sons that are teenagers and they're at the age now where like they may not say it, but I know that they watch how hard I work. And mm-hmm. if I, and, if, yeah. and I feel like if I don't work as hard as possible, like I was out in the shop till fucking three 30 in the morning last night. It's mm-hmm. and that's that's every day. I'm up at seven, eight, out in the shop. If I don't have to be at my day job, and I'm back, I'm in the shop till two, three a.m. And I just can't yeah. stop. Yeah, you know, and like, yeah, I, I well, feel I mean, like the comp- I, I just I the business like- requires that at the beginning. You know, you got to put it all yeah. in. Whatever it requires, you got to give it, and that's just yeah. that's the part of getting it off the ground. Yeah, and getting your name out there and. You know, yep. uh, like like a year ago or a year and a half ago, nobody knew who I was on Instagram. And like one day I'm sitting in my shop and I didn't have any orders. And I'm like, I'm fucking wasting my time if if people don't know who I am. And mm. that's when you, I really started making the Instagram push. And I don't get any traction yep. on Facebook because like my brother and I have talked about it because he's a tattoo artist. So mm. all of his traffic comes from Facebook because it's local. Whereas uh, all right. of all of our traffic, except for a few guys, um, it's Instagram because it's global. I can right. mail a knife. He can't mail a tattoo. Um, yeah. Yeah. But for sure. Yeah. Um, crap. I was going to say something. I'm spacing. Well, let's throw another ad in there while you're thinking about it. All right. We'll do Phoenix abrasives. Your one-stop shop for all your abrasives needs. Hustle and Grind is sponsored by PhoenixAbrasives.com, your one-stop abrasive shop. They stock all the abrasive belts you need in all sizes. They also offer knife-making kits, which have all the goods you need in one kit, as well as hand sanding and buffing materials. Go to PhoenixAbrasives.com and use the code HUSTLE10 for 10% off your order. PhoenixAbrasives.com, everyone. I have been made aware that the ads are quiet, these drop-in ads that we've started doing, and I promise by next week's episode, which is Noah Vashon, I will have them edited and louder. Hopefully not too loud. But um, So, Koi, was there any, speaking of, like, us, like, the level you're at and where, like, where I'm at, and a lot of knife makers are at where we're on the cusp. We're almost our day gate, our day jobs are in almost in the way. Um, how did you recognize when it was time to, to let go of the security of a day job? Because, you know, like, even though pretty much all day jobs don't pay shit, 
you yeah. become almost addicted to that weekly paycheck that you know is going to be there. You you know how much it is, even though it's almost never worth the amount of time anybody doing a nine to five is put in. Mm-hmm. Right. You become accustomed to that every week. You know that you're going to get 400 bucks on Friday and that's going to cover your electric bill and food. And then next week's going to cover half of your mortgage. And then the next week's going to be the other half. And um, mm-hmm. Well, there's an interesting dynamic there because for a lot of people, a day job will be a very big limiting factor in how they their mindset of the growth of their other company because they have that security net. If you got a security net financially, your drive for your business isn't near what it would be if you didn't have the security net. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm recommending everybody go dump their day job because most people are not ready for it yet. But that switch will switch something in your head and that that pressure of, well, I don't have a security net, so I got to man up and make this happen. Switches the mindset a lot. Knowing when that transition is, when it, when it's time to make that transition is different for everybody, I think. I I, I don't think there's a, a hard set when this has happened, green light and go. Um, I think everybody's got different circumstances. Um, for me, my personal experience, like you said, when that day job starts getting in the way, that's a big number one indicator. Um, but also you've got to have the clientele and the, you, not necessarily the sales right now, but you have to have the the sales forecast. You have to have the business plan and, and lined up. You need to have the sales plan lined up, how you're going to make such and such money by such and such dates and have them time marked out. Because without that game plan and without goals to hit, as soon as you stop that day job, you're going to be a you know, floundering in the ocean with no boats around, no land. But you got to have that plan set in stone. And I would recommend a business partner to pretty much everybody. Um, it's right at the beginning because two minds are always better than one. Now pick this partner carefully because, you know, you can pick a business partner who's going to do terrible things later. Um, but somebody who you trust really well and they have these you know good business sense and preferably someone who knows the industry they don't have to know the the industry but maybe they have a strength in finance or maybe a background in finance or background in tax or a background in you know whatever it is manufacturing industrial manufacturing i don't i don't know but a a, a guy a partner who you can bounce ideas off of who you can use as basically an accountability partner for, Hey, here's how we're going to structure this. Here's how we're going to set this up. Here's our goals. Here's where our goals need to be. And ideally someone who can help with the initial workload. I mean, you know, I'm sure both of you guys probably have websites. Um, but when you start going into stuff that's full time, I mean, a website is a big, big front landing page for a lot of people still, right? I mean, in this day and age, Instagram is almost as big as a website, if not a little more than, there's still a lot of old school people out there and especially knife buyers. I, I, I try to harp on this with knife makers. So many knife buyers out there over the age of 40, a vast majority of them because no young people these days have any money. And so if you're going to cater to a buyer market, your bigger buyer market is going to be the, uh, you know, 40 and over really, because they're the ones with the expendable income. And so there's a lot of things you can do to cater to that. But one of those is stuff like websites, because that generation is still going to websites a lot more or Facebook more than they are TikTok or Instagram. So you got to really diversify where you're pushing your advertising to and marketing. And there's another avenue, how you market. I mean, there's so many layers to all that. 
I'll stop talking and let you ask a question before I quit. I'm going to ramble for the rest of the show. <laughs> That's all right. We're we're at, this is probably the most we've ever talked about business and knives ever on this podcast. I mean, you listen to the Jason Knight episode. We talked about like booties and interdimensional aliens. aliens. Yeah. <laughs> uh, whatever we get into is what we get into. Um, right. But this is all amazing information, and I think a lot of us are hesitant to reach out to people to ask these questions because we mm. don't want to be a burden. You know what I mean? Like I have Jason Knight's phone number now, but, and like last night I was like, man, I could ask him, but I'm sure everybody and their mother is asking guys like on that level, these, these questions that to us, like in the moment might seem stupid, even though they're important questions and things that we're all wondering. Mm -hmm. Um, Sure. It's, it's crazy. How do you, how do you feel about knife makers who do production orders? Cause Cause that's uh, something so you that I've been like, like mid tech. Like, yeah. Kind of not, not, not so much mid tech, but maybe just like, um, like I have restaurants ask for not like bulk batches of like steak knives or whatever. Or like, um, some companies will do branded content knives mm-hmm. from makers and stuff like that. Um, do you feel like that diminishes anybody in any way to do that or, you not know, what's, no, not, not at all. It, I mean, so it does not diminish the knife maker whatsoever. No, I will say that straight up. Does it fit with what you're doing? It may not. So that's where, you know, that knife maker needs to figure out what, who they are, what they are. And that's can morph over time. But if you're going to be a guy like Caleb, uh, Kyle Royer, who makes one-off custom pieces, spends three months making it and sells it for $45,000. You're a one-off custom guy. You're not going to see him make a kitchen set for Costco or a restaurant, you know? Yeah. And so it would be a big deal for him to deviate from that path because he's really established in his custom one-off market. Uh, switch that around. Let's go to uh, Half Face Blades. It's not mid-tech, but they're doing batches of knives. They have guys working. They have a guy grinding the blade, and then it goes off to a guy who does the handle assembly, then a guy who does the handle sanding, and then a finished work. There's more staged work. It's a company. It's an organization. It's not necessarily a single knife maker. And, you know, if you mentioned kind of going to having a shop with multiple guys in it, making more knives like that, that that's obviously not one off. And so it doesn't diminish the knife in any sort of way. Andrew started making the knives all by himself as a knife maker. And he took it to half face blades who now makes not, they're all still custom, but on a much bigger scale. Um, and then you switch it and go to more like mid tech. So you're talking like heretic or, you know, guys like Medford knives, you know, who are doing more production straight up style. I mean, yeah, it doesn't diminish the knife at all. Um, it is a much easier to get into the industry as a single one-off knife maker because you can just start with yourself in a garage. You don't have to start with everything else. Um, where you morph from there is totally up to you. It doesn't diminish the work at all. As long as you are maintaining that quality in your pieces and in your work as you move into whatever you're looking to do long-term, whether that's production or mid-tech or one-off or whatever. I'm glad to hear you say that because I agree. And I think it's a spectrum where mm-hmm. like, you do have guys like Kyle Royer who are making these museum quality art pieces that you know, 5,000 years from now, some futuristic archaeologist is going to dig up one of his knives and be like, holy shit, you know, mm-hmm. and, and 
it, I guess it really depends on the individual and what you want. I found in the community, a lot of times, a lot of makers who are in their garage or like, you know, on our level will turn their noses at somebody who decides to take a production run. And, and I, I think that's unfortunate because who are we to mm. judge somebody on how they feed their family? You know what I mean? Um, sure. I, or I, even I, what get, their, I get that. Even what their customer base is, because, you know, everyone has a different customer base. And, it, and if you have something that you can put out there that, that fits your customer base, you know, if you're not, you know, like, for instance, I've, I've been dabbling in some stock removal. I don't like stock, stock removal. I started forging because I love forging. But at the end of the day, I sell knives to fund my forging habit. I've got a full time job, you know. But the less time that I'm spending on a knife, I can charge less for it because it's, you know, it's less time away from my family. It's less time into the knife. I can charge less for it. And, you know, if that market's there, then feed that market. If it's, you know, if, if your market is something else, then then you need to be doing something else. But I think just respecting other people's choices, other people's markets and other people's ideals is is important. And, yeah. and, and... No, go ahead. Man. Go ahead. I'm I'm the opposite of Noah. I don't forge, and I don't have much desire to forge. Um, to me, n- knife making like I only do stock removal, but like I like the precision of stock removal where you're not smashing stress into the blade. You can heat treat it like to a degree. You know what I mean? Um, and the grinds. That's that's where the satisfaction in me come for me comes is in the grinding. Um, and I, I feel, especially for that Baker Forge steel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and <laughs> Sorry, like shameless plug. I, I've caught in flack recently for only being stock removal and I have thick skin. I don't give a shit. I just brush it off. Tell those guys to pound sand. That is one of the, oh, I hate that so much. So stock removal versus forging, it's still a knife. Do you have those those markets out those collectors who will only collect a forged knife? Sure, mm-hmm. personal preference, whatever. There's a much bigger buying market for guys out there who are buying stock removal blades because they're not as expensive. It's and again, it comes down to that business choice. You know, if a maker decides to go stock removal or do some of both, it doesn't make the knife any inherently less quality. In fact, there's a big argument to be said for stock removal blades being the the steel quality being better than forged blades because you're not, you know, the elements of is the steel getting overheated? Is the steel get, did it get normalized properly uh, before going into the heat treat? Did you pound it too cold across stress fractures? Is it a short, a red short steel like 52100? Did the maker know what he was doing with it? You know, you have a much higher chance of getting a blade that's got steel that's kind of, if it's a forged blade. You know, well, so that, and that at the end of the yeah, go ahead. At, at the end of the day, when 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 you buy steel from you know New Jersey Steel Baron or or wherever it is, that that steel was forged into that bar. So technically, yeah. it's forged. <laughs> it's true. Just saying. <laughs> it's true. Or if, or if you buy Baker Forge and Steel Tool, you know, if you buy steel from from you, guess what? Mm-hmm. It was forged. It, it might not have been yep. forged by the maker that that uh, stock removed it into a knife, but. Actually, that's another question I was right. going to have. So, with with your guy with your guys' seal that you sell, do you mm-hmm. do many people forge it after they buy a bar, or are they mostly doing stock removal from the bars that they buy from you? We recommend stock removal only, and so 
99% of our market does. The re- the laminated layers of copper and bronze in these billets um, is inherently uh, that bond at room temperature is dynamite. And you can bend that blade back and forth. It's not going to fragment on you or anything. At forging temperature, that bond softens. Unlike Damascus, where uh, a bond molecularly, like they fully completely engage into each other and they become harmoniously one. With our with our process, with the laminated steels, it's actually a diffusion bond weld. And so it's diffusing small amounts of the copper and the steel that are joining. It's similar to a braze, but not quite without getting into the scientific nerd shit. I won't, it, it gets complicated, but that bond re softens at forging temperatures. And so if you heat the bar up and then try to forge against those layers, you have a high risk of delaminating them. Um, and so we recommend they are not forged, especially on edge. I've got some guys who will draw out bevels um, just on the flat of the bar and continue to pull that flat out, you know, where you're working, not working against the laminated layers, like the, not working the bar on edge. Um, and as long as you're watching your temperatures, you can do that just fine. I've got a couple of guys who are doing that. I also have a couple of guys who successfully forge tips into their bars all the way to a tip and don't fracture it. But that is a, if you do not know what you're doing or you're not good with temperatures, that is a surefire way to ruin it. So I recommend my official recommendation and stance on it is stock removal, but you know, there's some guys who can do it. Gotcha. So real quick, uh, I think we're running a little bit long on time here, but I just wanted to try and see where you get your inspiration for your patterns. You know, each individual has their own way of coming up with different designs and, and you have a lot that really stands out and is unique and different than what a lot of other people do, whether it's your herringbone pattern, that one in particular to me is, is, is awesome. Um, but where, where have you gotten some of those ideas from? So first off, I'll separate this into two categories because we've got our production steels, which is what everybody sees on drops. You know, it's the copper raindrop or the tiger go mine. That's production. And then we've got the mosaics that are all one off. And those are always made by me. And they're one off pieces. I only make one pattern one time. And it's never I never repeat it. Um, And the reason I do that is that guarantees exclusivity of the pattern to the buyer because a lot of most of the time a collector buys that bar because you may have seen we do auctions from time to time but with a one off mosaic bars and those are almost always scooped up by a collector who wants it made and they'll take it and send it to their not favorite knife maker and have a knife made that's a one of a kind that pattern will never be repeated and that's the reason we do that and so those patterns I the mosaic patterns is what I like to work on. That's my favorite mind bendy, twisty um, process. To re- learning how to look at a similar pattern, it may not be in steel, but in something else, and reverse engineer how that could be made using Damascus and the into Damascus is, is really fun. And for inspirations there, guys like Mareko Mamasi, um, of course, Steve Swarzer, and then Joshua Prince, Prince Works Forge, he does the plugs. He kind of kind of really kind of pioneered the plugs in my mind, at least on Instagram. And he and I spent some time talking. He kind of t- guided me on how to do those plug welded mosaics, which are super, super fun. Um, so those are my inspirations there on the mosaic side. Now, the production side, uh, we have to use patterns that 
are not necessarily easy to do, but can be done on a larger volume because you can't, we can't make a mosaic Damascus that takes me personally three weeks to make and mass produce it. Right. So, so, never so then that's a, a, a repeatable pattern. That's something you're able right. to so, do. Right. So, I mean, everybody's familiar with uh, ladder pattern, which is similar to our wavy pattern. Um, that we just actually forged that pattern in. That's not cut in or anything. But then, you know, raindrop, the classic, drilling the holes or rolling it through a roller with dimples and removing the dimples. Um, those are pretty classic patterns. The chevron, we call our chevron or herringbone, as some people call it. That, I mean, you know, you've seen that pattern out there here and there. We had our own dies custom cut. Uh, we 3D designed a, a set of dies and we just adjusted the pattern a little bit. I wanted um, a double W, sorry, not a double W, a double angle to make the, it's not a traditional herringbone. It's got one, well, this is going to be hard to explain over a podcast. It's slightly different. Let's just leave it there. It's Fair slightly enough. different than Fair a herringbone. And because uh, I didn't want to co- exactly copy what other people were doing. And so we adjusted the pattern and had a, a CNC shop make those dies. The diamond pattern, the diamond tread pattern is a really cool one. Um, mm-hmm. That one was just a, the guys are here in the shop or, you know, in the lunchroom here eating lunch. And I was like, all right, so we got to come up with a new pattern. Um, what, 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 what should we do? And one of the guys was like, how about like tread plate, diamond tread plate? And I was like, oh, well, we could, if we inverted it and we did the outline grid of the diamonds and that would raise diamonds in the pattern when we pressed it in that we could then take off on the grinder, bamo. Now we've got a diamond tread pattern in the Damascus. So, you know, the stuff kind of comes up over the lunch hour or, you know, while the guys are hanging out at the shop at the, tr- you know, by the trucks after work, you know, um, yeah, it's like- there it's not often we would sit down and go, okay. We're taking the half hour of everybody's time and let's design a pattern. That just doesn't really happen. It just comes up and I'll be like, whoop, get the notebook out, start sketching that shit down. So that's kind of how that works. Now, as far as the lay, so that's patterns. We got layouts as well. So layouts would be how the steel is layered together before it's actually patterned. So, I mean, you know, like Firestorm was a recent one that we did and that was over a mono core you alternated 25 layer Damascus and a copper shim four times on each side. And it gives us this really fiery look because you've got the Damascus layers broken up by bold strips of copper, as opposed to a standard copper Damascus where it's an alternating steel and copper layout through the whole thing. And so we try to keep patterns and layouts separate because it's kind of two, it's two different processes. We have to make a layout first with how it's laminated together and then we have to figure out how we want to pattern that. And we normally we will take a we'll design a layout and then we will do that layout in all of the different patterns we offer. Wavy, raindrop, chevron, diamond, you name it. So that's kind of an insight into that. It, it starts as a layout and then it goes into how it's patterned. That's awesome. Well, we're at an hour and 15. So let's do, we got two more segments to do. We'll do patreon spotlight and then we'll do a quick wfi projects because we're gonna start taking up some of the slack from wfi projects i decided (laughs) i would take brian house's advice and i would dump our own hashtag for one you can't use an ampersand in a hashtag and i didn't realize that and for two brian was right and nobody's gonna fucking use our hashtag so (laughs) i i agree um i i don't know what his deal was saying that we're the hustling grinder podcast. I had to look up what that website was 
And once I got on there, I realized no, that it's just... No, you didn't. No, you didn't. You already knew. All it is is guys with the same haircut as him, so I'm, I'm assuming... Oh! <laughs> I'm assuming that's how he knew what it was. But anyways, so we'll go into the <laughs> Patreon spotlight. We've actually got three new patrons. Woo, woo. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. We love you all. Well, two new patrons. One of them was new last week, too. So uh, we've, we've re- successfully restarted the growth of the Hustle and Grind podcast. And I'm, I'm pretty happy with this. So we'll start out. Awesome. we got Don- Donnie Dulovich, KnifeMaterial.at, Aru Bladeworks, Brigham Kendall, Mark LeBlanc, Mark Vanderwerf, Bex Armory, Todd Harrington, Dennis Tyrell, Trucks Claire Custom Cutlery, Maritime Knife Supply, Driver Defense Knives, Noah Bloomberg, Crafty Man Forge, Tortuga Bladeworks, Jared at Echo Blades, Sourwood Creations, Bremner Built Knives, Snake Branch Knife Works, Stormlight Forge, Timber Tiger Forge, Ira Housework, Maximus Knives, Neil Warren, and then... I think the new one, the new, new one was actually Jared at Echo Blades. And I've been reading it. I didn't have the Patreon Patreon account until last week. So we were going off screenshots. But, oh, Zachary. I I actually knew a lot of those names. Zachary Stowell and Paternostri Fabrica and Jared Weaver at Weaver's Custom Creations. So, and Ed awesome. Soul. My list is broken up. I got to consolidate it because I, I had the screenshotted old one and then I got the Patreon. And yeah, anyways, so we randomly anyways, picked one. We, we randomly appreciate each one of you guys is what the point is. Every single one, we feel the love and we appreciate it. I'm going to randomly pick somebody. Do, 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 do. We're going to go. Oh, hello. Drum roll, please. Sorry, we're just a we're just a flea bag podcast over here. Yeah. We're gonna go. <laughs> Bremner built knives. All right. I feel like we just Bremner did him. But luck of the draw, he gets drawn again. So we go on their Instagram, shout out their work, and then uh Let me see here. Let me pull it up. Shut All right, so we got out. Bremner built knives underscores in between each of the words. If you're looking on Instagram right now, yep, he's got 371 followers. So go ahead and head over there and follow him, guys. Um, and he's in Alberta, Canada. Eh? Oh, another said, Canadian, eh? Oh, he's said got a Brender, dog. Bremner, Bremner B- built Bremner, uh, Bremner. B- yeah, B R E M N E R. He does some really nice leather work. He's got That's a something that I just cannot cannot force myself to do is do leather work, and he's I, I, need I have a to ton of so respect bad. for for those guys that are doing leather work as well as knife work. I mean, well done, everyone out there who's doing that, especially Brenner built knives right now because he's got some really cool patterning that he's doing on his leather work, and he's got this really cool stamp that he's putting on there with his logo. It's yeah, he's crushing well it. He's crushing it. Looks like he does it. a lot of a lot of hunters. I'm seeing a lot of hunting style knives yeah it looks i cold cannot find him to save my life 
It does not come up for some reason. <laughs> well, hopefully the listeners are able to find it because we want to shout this guy out and give him some love for being one of our patrons and supporting us. Here, I'll send yeah. you the URL. B-R-E-M-N-E-R built knives with underscores in between the words. Hell yeah. He's awesome. He's doing some Appreciate great work here. all the patrons. Um, there we go. Now I can see him. I don't, I don't know why he was not showing up. Oh, he's got this sweet looking cleaver that he made too. And he's got, and he made this leather like blade cover for it. And he even put it up and did like a nice photo of it and everything. That's the one thing I suck at is taking nice photos to put on Instagram. And he's, he's got some great photos. He's got it knives like up on a rock. He's got them with kind of like a setup. He's got one with a skull with some, like a deer skull with some uh, barbed wire in it and stuff. So that extra effort to, to take those good photos is, is always, always a good yeah, thing. Yeah, he's... He's definitely got some good photos, which is always good to see. I, I find myself stopping on the photos of like his tooling. I'm looking at this. He's got that Brooks London pattern anvil, Brooks England anvil. That looks like a beauty. I'm a nerd for anvils. <laughs> nice flat top on it. Sweet. Oh, looks like he does some hunting and fishing too. Jeez, that's a big pike. Yeah. Oh man. That looks awesome. That's cool. I wish I could looks link like, my phone so that I can pull it up on the video. That would well, be cool. it looks like maybe he hasn't been making knives that long because you scroll down and all of a sudden it's just all like hunting and trucks. He's got some Jeep photos. And there's not much knives before that, so I don't know how long he's been doing this, but it doesn't seem like maybe it's been very long, so... Well done for how far he's coming, however short period of time it is. It's, it's hard to say, but. Yeah, the first knife I see on this page is looks like one made for his dad. And it's got pinned brass bolsters on the first knife posted here. So if that's his first knife, kudos. No kidding. No kidding. Way to hit the ground running. I know. Yeah, my, my first knives did not look like that. So uh, everybody go check out Bremner underscore built underscore knives on Instagram. Give him some love. Get that follower numbers up. Absolutely. And uh, I've got WFI projects pulled up here. And the first thing I noticed is abstract blacksmith cutting off what looks like a giant metal butt plug, which not to like be weird about it, but that's what it looks like. And it says, wait, wait to not be weird. Yeah. Coy, are you familiar with WFI projects? I am the work for it podcasts. I, I love those guys. Awesome. Um, I'm trying uh, to pull it up here. There we go. It says probably not his comment is probably not the biggest one you've ever seen, but if I ever met someone that claimed it fits, I would be left in somewhat of awe to say the least. <laughs> so maybe I'm not wow. far off. He says he's going to use it for a cone anvil or a swage. If that's how it's pronounced. Interesting. Hmm. And that's... Are you looking uh, under, recents, under recents or under the top? Under the top. He posted that on... Scroll down here. Four days ago. Um, and that's Abstract Blacksmith. Lando Novak yeah. of the Forge Side Chat. He's the man. Yep, yep. 
Um, Nobody knows who he is. Come on. Yeah, I know. We're probably... Hooten Knives has got a bunch of stuff on here. That guy, I am amazed at how much he cranks out. That guy is constantly showing off new blades and stuff. Like, I just don't have that much time. Like, he, he is constantly coming up with new designs. And he's one of those uh, one of those makers that, that shows their face online. So you actually know what he looks like. And he's always got funny little videos that he'll put up. And he just cranks out a ton of blades, it seems like. He's a hoot. <laughs> Uh, 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 uh. Wah, wah, wah. I like the little scalpels that he's doing. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm gonna go to recent, see if we can shout out any new makers here. I'm seeing a lot of the, a lot of the same guys I already see in my feed already. Yeah, I was over here on recents too, and I saw a, a cool piece of Damascus. I clicked on it. Of course, it's Dennis Tyrell. <laughs> Dennis course. is amazing. Right? Yeah, and. And it's his hobby. It's like he's like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm just do- I'm just doing this for fun, and I'm better than all of you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he really is. He's he's so good, and he's so spread out in what he can do. Like he's making his own Damascus, and then making exceptional blades with his Damascus, and he's got a full time yeah. day job. That guy has come so far in such a short period of time. He is very talented. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, he's one of the. I mean, off the top of my head, one of maybe two or three guys out there who make their own copper laminated steel. And of those guys, he is hands down the best. He's got that nailed down. Yeah. So I, I haven't tried that Damascus yet. And, and I don't know if I will. He He's uh, put, a, put a liner in your forge first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I know I would mess it up. All right. So I just found somebody new here that at least new to me, uh, the Rivers Experience. The underscore rivers underscore experience. And he had a chef knife here that he hashtagged WFI projects. And it's a forged. You got the forged finish on there with this beautiful green handle. And it is clean looking. And then I scrolled down in his other feed and it looks like he made. Um, made an entry to the, the fantasy challenge that uh, went on a little while ago. And he has what looks like a femur bone for the handle. And that is easily one of the gnarliest looking knives I have ever seen in my life. It's crazy looking. He does some really clean work. He does have quite a few followers, but I definitely wanted to shout out his, he's got a style and I love it. So I'm going to be following this guy now. So check out the rivers experience. We'll do one more here. uh, Oh, go ahead. Go. I've got one if, if uh, I got another slot. Um, yep. I, I know, I think I know you guys have talked to, about him before, but uh, Brian Hunt, Hidden Rose Forge. Uh, I just stumbled across one on the recent section here of his, the really pearly bone handle. Uh, I got to meet Brian Hunt at Blade Show West in early October this year. What a great guy. He and I chatted for a good long while. Um, so shout out to Brian Hunt, Hid Rose Forge. He does great work. I love his knives. Everybody go check him out. I got one last yep. one here. And he's got 171 followers. So he's just starting his Instagram climb. It's S dot Collins Knives. One word. So at the dot is a period. It says part-time knife maker, full-time geologist. Ooh, that's that, a new that's one. That's an 
Yeah, that's an uncommon day job in the knife making world. You don't see many geologists out there, but he's got some really nice work going on. Um, nice little bone handled hunter with a pinned. It looks like uh, what's that? Uh, it's four forty C. So he's doing stainless and a stainless pinned bolster. Um, his bevels look good. He's doing hidden tang hunting knives and stuff. So he's he's stepping up his game. Plunge lines look good. Go check him out. S period Collins knives on Instagram. And I'm not even following him. I'm going to follow him right now. Now he's got. All right. I got I got one more. All one right. more. I got to I got to call out here. Whiskey Delta Metalworks. This dude has 409 followers. And he says he's just beginning his his journey. And this guy has, I'm a sucker for forge finish uh, chef knives, but he also has some other, I mean, he's got a frame handle. uh, I don't know if it's a chef knife or what, but it's this beautiful, like gray dyed curly maple. He also has this hunter that he made out of like a char whiskey barrel material for the handle. And it's got the charred the charred portion of it is like the outside of the handle. It looks so cool. I never would have thought to do that. And oh, that is uh, dope. Isn't it? Can you see that? Oh, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, dude. As a whiskey that, connoisseur, that speaks to me. Oh yeah. That I've never seen anything like that. I never would have thought of it. And I mean, he's doing some crazy, crazy good stuff for somebody who is, you know, quote unquote, just starting their journey. Uh, into knife making and he's only got 400 followers so go follow whiskey delta metalworks talk about you know some cool stuff that's a little bit outside of what you would normally see in your feed definitely check him oh, out he, he's also got yeah. a sick anvil sorry i'm a i'm an animal <laughs> that's the no, first thing i look for on, a, on somebody's page <laughs> this is why we decided to do this too because there's so many new makers out there who are putting out oh, yeah. like in- incredibly high level work at such a low start, at, like such a low point in their making that, you know, oh, yeah. that if, with just a little bit of encouragement and exposure that they're going to get obsessed and they're going to, some of them will be the top dogs someday. Um, oh yeah. Well, and you've also got those guys who they maybe have been making knives for a year or two and they're just now getting on the platform and they, you know, their account looks like a beginner account because they've got like, you know, like 10 posts or 400 followers. But, you know, their work is is great. They just need some exposure. Yeah, absolutely. But we've been going an hour and a half, almost as long as a Joe Rogan podcast. This is crazy. Oh, yeah. Hey, was that that was Noah, right? Joe Rogan, that whole deal? Oh, no, that was that all was him. Me. That was me. It was you. OK, I couldn't remember who it was. Congratulations on that, dude. Thanks, man. It seems to have been a blessing. Um, the Joe Rogan awesome. bump is real. If if St. Rogie said your name, then prepare for your <laughs> entire life to change. It's crazy. It's crazy. And it's all, I didn't tag him in that and everything. That's just like, we have a mutual friend who decided I was worthy of, you know, him showing Joe Rogan a stupid 10 second reel. I made at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, That's if awesome. I... Talk about organic growth right there. Yeah. And to be like such a huge fan of his, it's really humbling and like, oh my God, I can't believe that. And 
Like a lot of people were like, did you play in that? No, I didn't play in that. You think if I wanted <laughs> Joe, Joe Rogan to share my reel, I would have had my Mexican blanket slippers on and like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, come on now. Right, right, right. That was, well, it was awesome. I'm so, I'm close we, to closing my books again because of that. Jeez, that's awesome, like, dude. Well, my only request is when you uh, make Joe Rogan a knife, make it out of Baker Forge Damascus. Yeah, please. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, and that's always been the goal, but like, like I've given out a bunch of knives to these UFC fighters is kind of like, like yeah. get your name out there, get your name associated with them. My goal was always for him to want to buy one. You know, I, I feel yeah. like that, that would be because I know who he has knives from. And oh, if, he yeah. wants, if he wants to buy one, that kind of gives me like a certain level of, uh, you know, it was all right. worth it. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Right. Well, Marekko got his start. Sorry, that's I'm how distracted yeah. everybody. No, and because oh, no of worries. that, that's, that's how I got my start because I was dabbling in it a little bit. And people, you know, everybody makes fun of knife makers when they first start out. Everybody around them in their circles, like, you're a fucking idiot. What are you doing? Wasting your yeah. time. And how and is then that going to be a full time job? Exactly. And and my wife still says that to me like, you need to get another real job. <laughs> <laughs> But anyways, when I saw Mareko on his podcast, I was like, I could do it. If yeah, this guy, doable. yeah, if this guy's on here, then that means it's doable. This is, I, I could be taken seriously if I put the work in and I could do it. And because of Mareko going on Rogan is why I decided to really go for it. Um, yeah. And I'm yeah, a huge fan I mean, of gave Mareko, gave Mareko like three and a half years worth of work in one go. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Not that he didn't deserve that already, because that man makes incredible knives. He's one of my heroes. I'd love to have him on. Uh, he's one of my oh, heroes. Oh, you totally should. Uh, if he'd ever respond to me, getting through the DM wall on, on big guys like that is so hard. Yeah. Um, I mean, he does podcasts already, so I feel like it would, wouldn't be too hard. Yeah. I asked Jeff Fader to go come on. And he pretty much told me yeah. to fuck myself. So <laughs> we'll see how Jeff's that goes. A, Jeff's a character. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's I was a New about Yorker. to say go through go through somebody else to get to Mareko, but Jeff won't be the one to go through. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no. So all uh, right, guys, well, we probably need to wind this down. People are probably getting really tired of how long we're going on here. Um, Coy, is there anything else you want to throw out there, or anything you want to get said before we close this thing down? Uh, man, I think we hit everything. Uh, I, I, I thank you so much for having me on here. It, it was a blast. Anytime you need somebody, hook me up, call me. We'll do it. Hell yeah. I'd I love to have you on awesome. here. So, yeah. Well, we really yeah, appreciate man. you coming on here. It was really great to hear all of your, your business insights and, and, and hear the kind of the story behind how your, how your company started and everything. It was really, really awesome. So we really thank appreciate it. Thank that. you so much. And, and I think a lot of listeners will really enjoy hearing all that as well. So a lot of good information appreciate on it. this one. For sure. And a lot of questions that I think a lot of us wanted to know or wanted to get an answer for, but we don't want to reach out individually and be a pain. So I think uh, this this episode was a success. It was. Oh, yeah, so. for sure. I mean, and just to, you know, to touch on that whole, I know we're at the end. Sorry. One more quick thing. To keep touch going, on the whole going. not wanting to reach out. Always, it, it doesn't hurt to reach out to, to somebody, even if they are a big name like Jason Knight or something on Instagram. Um, it doesn't ever hurt to reach out and don't feel, don't take it personally if they don't respond just cause I mean, I only got like 60 some thousand followers, but I, I still 
we can't get through all the DMs. So it's not a matter of, oh, that guy's not important. It's a matter of, we probably didn't even see it. And I can't even imagine an account like Mareko or, you know, guys like um, Jason Knight. They just, they can't get to it. There's just so much yeah. in there. So it's, it's not a slight to anybody. No, it's like I said, it's hard to get through that DM wall, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. we had Jessica Rose Clark, the UFC fighter on a couple months ago and just talking mm. to her like through DM, I was asking her questions about that. And she's like, there is thousands of messages every day. You know, she's got half a million followers. She's an attractive yeah. lady. So you get all the pervies in there too. And like, I can't yeah. even imagine trying to sift through that. Jeez. Oh man. What a nightmare. <laughs> but man. on that note, let's play us off. And it was an honor being on here with you, man. I really appreciate you coming on. Not a problem. Thanks, guys, for having me. Yeah, not a problem. That was Bye, everybody. One. Bye. Keep on hustling. Later. Keep on grinding. <laughs>